Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. I'm undergoing self-isolation. It's the only way to be. Just for the lack of stimulation. So come self-isolate with me. Ladies and gentlemen, self-isolating is a little bit lonelier today for me. Um, a friend and colleague for a number of years, who's counting, uh, passed away this weekend. I had uh, seen him last about a year ago, and the physical toll that his three-decades-long fight against multiple sclerosis had uh, taken on him was evident as was his brilliance and his funny, which were undimmed. And uh, it, it struck me that um, a lot of people saw him starring in a television series, but weren't familiar with the range of just exactly how funny he could be. I had that privilege because I worked with him for about six years on a comedy group called The Credibility Gap. We were on the radio, the radio, we were on the radio just like I am now. Nutty. Um, and we had what I thought was the best job in the world, but uh, I was in my 20s. Three 10-minute shows a day, making fun of the news. <laughs> yeah, I know it sounds crazy now, but I was in my 20s, as were we all. And it seemed easy, and uh, David made it a whole lot easier. David Lander, I'm talking about. David L. Lander. He was, um, as I said on Twitter this weekend, uh, the guy who taught me really, he didn't teach me anything. He just was the best example I'd ever seen of you feed him a premise, you say something that's, in the news or something that you noticed and before gravity has taken hold of that ball that you've thrown in the air, he's hit it out of the park. He's come up with the perfect punchline. He was a, uh, and this is not meant in any derogatory way, he was a punchline machine. He just had that gift of turning it just that little bit. And um, I'm, I'm sorry to say that even though I did collect an awful lot of the material we did, um, together, along with Michael McKeon and the late Richard Beebe. Uh, a lot of it is inaccessible to me right now because it's analog, and I'm all digital, you know? So I'm going to uh, bring you today um, two or three of the things that I think showcase David to the greatest effect, and um, there, there may be more at a later time. And also on today's show, lest you think it's only about the past, there is a song of the season and of the moment coming up. So stick around for that. Now, this first credibility gap piece is a, kind of a great example of how a comedy idea evolves and finally devolves. There was a, a comedy group when we were 
supplying our trade that was way more successful than we were. I won't mention their names. And they were known, not behind their backs, out of their own mouths. I think in a memorable memorable interview with a, a California Alternative Weekly for borrowing the material of other comedy acts. And I'm using maybe three or four sets of air quotes around borrowing. So we, David and Michael and I and uh, Richard in, in our group, decided to write a piece for our uh, stage act, seen by dozens, that basically satirized that act that was much more successful than we were because they were stealing other people's material. And so we did a riff off what was then the the most well-known classic comedy bit in the world, Abbott and Costello's Who's On First. And we did it kind of in the style of that other act. And you'll hear the punchline, which was basically the the pointed comment at the end that brought it around to what, what this was really about. Well, we started doing it on stage, and we shortly learned that the audience didn't care about the the trappings of this other act that we had laid on this bit. <laughs> they liked the bit for itself. So we we stopped doing the trappings and just did the bit straight. And by straight, I don't mean. And um, we were asked if it could be filmed for a film that the guy was making, which was, for which he was filming a lot of local comedy acts around L.A., doing their, quote, best bits, unquote. And then they were they were going to drape some casual storyline, very tentatively connecting all these bits. Sure, nobody else was filming us. So to, from that moment to today, when you go on now YouTube, you will see the only visual version of that piece as it appears in that movie, in its entirety, except for the punchline. Here it is, ladies and gentlemen, punchline and all. The following incident takes place in the advertising department of the Los Angeles Times. Yeah, hello, Louise, yes. Did that rock and roll promoter ever show... What rock and roll promoter? You know, the one who's going to take out the full page ad. Did he ever show? I bet he didn't. Oh... He did, huh? Well, will you please tell him that he is um, six minutes late by my watch, and my watch is um, five minutes fast? <laughs> yes, tell him that. Well, you have to, I don't know what that comes to. Just have him figure it out. Will you please send him in? Thank you. I can't believe these people. They either show up or they, they, they don't show up or they, they show up or they, they don't show up or they Excuse me, you Mr. Hickenlooper? Yes, I'm Walter Hickenlooper. Yeah, how you do? My name is Danny Drollinger. I'm with Conquest Concerts. We do all the big rock and roll shows, you know, in the outlying areas. We did Festival de Salsa at the Orange Show Auditorium. You know, all that stuff. We, we've, we've done business with you people before. And I came down here personally today because I want a huge full-page ad. We're doing a very big rock show out of the Big O. The Big O? What is that? Winchell's Donuts? What's the problem, sir? Are you new to the area? No. Well, everybody around here knows this. The Big A, mm-hmm. the Big O, mm-hmm. the Big I. Mm-hmm. The Big A's Anaheim Stadium. That I know. The Big O's Ontario Motor Speedway. Ah, Ontario Motor Speedway. Okay. What's the Big I? That's me. Yeah, oh, you can write well, that down gonna, if no, you want. No, I'm not going to put that Well, it won't hurt to remember listen, it. You know, I'm going to be around in town for a while. Right. Okay, anyway, look. Right, it's Motor a very, very different kind of rock and roll show. No oh, smoke yeah. bombs, no oh. lasers, and most important, no opening acts. Just three headline supergroups. Oh, my goodness. Boom, 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 like that, you know? Boom, boom, So I want them to have equal belling, equal weight. All right, well, the easiest way to do that 
is why don't we just list them in the order they appear? How's that? One, two, and three. Good idea. Okay. I like the way you work. Well, thank you very much. Maybe we'll sir. do some I business with you in the future. I sure hope so. Okay. All right. Well, let's start with the first act, shall we? Fine. Okay. Who's on first? Mr. Hilluper, mm-hmm. if my secretary has already given you the information, mm-hmm. you know, there's no sense for me to be here. I could be out booking well, slime, Spokane. I, no, I know. So if you got it... No, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. Yeah. I just said who's on first. That's right. Ah, you that's see, right. We, oh, I like that name. That's that, right. It's so affirmative. It's so, so sure of itself. Don't write that's right. Hmm? That's wrong. That's wrong. Well, that's a bit more negative, I suppose, with what with these times and all. That's wrong. Uh, Mr. Hagenlooper? Mm-hmm. It's not that's right. It's not that's wrong. Well, then, who's on first? Who's on first? Who is on first? Who is on first? Who? 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 Who's on first? That's right. That's right. I got it down here. Look, Mr. Hickenlooper. Mm-hmm. You get on the Pomona Freeway. You drive your car out to Ontario Motor Speedway. You get out. You give the man the ticket. You sit down in your seat. The guy on stage comes out and says, Ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to present who? Who? That's right. That's right. All right. It's who? a fine group as far as I'm concerned. Oh. You're upset, right? right. Uh, you could say I'm upset. Right. We're having a communication problem. There's nothing, there's nothing to be let's ashamed of. Let's just get this straight do. before my quaalude kicks oh, in, okay? That's okay, all I ask. Fine. All right. Let's just... Well, then we'll start with the second act. Fine. I don't know why I didn't suggest this fine. to with. Okay. Who's on second? Who's on yeah, first? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Sorry. 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 What's the name of the second act? Guess who? I, jeez, mm, I'm not familiar with the genre here. I don't have any genre. Look, question. it's just three rock and roll acts. Yeah, Guess who? Uh, um, give me a t- um, uh, the Dingling Sisters. They're not even sisters, well, Mr. Hickenlooper. Uh, uh, Guess right. who? Um, Bo Donaldson and the Haywoods. Bo Donaldson and the Haywoods. Right, I am not running no goddamn Bush Gardens, pal. Let's get that straight. Right. This is Conquest Concerts, okay. nothing but class. Okay. Guess who? Uh, I, well, I, well I, I can't guess who. You don't have to guess who. Well, then I won't guess who. So don't guess who. All right. All right. <sighs> I will tell you something frankly, sir. What? I didn't have this much trouble with the free press. Oh. You didn't, huh? Well, I'll tell you something frankly, sir. I didn't have this much trouble with the music center, and they put on Rigoletto one year. That's four act. Not the year they did it. All right, now let's just move on to the third act, huh? Who, uh, mm-hmm. why, no. Ah. Will you please tell me the name of the third act? Yes. Fine. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay. You let me see a proof of the act Wednesday, and we'll be... Wait a minute! Where are you going? Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I asked you to tell me the name of the third act. I told you the name of the third act. You want me to tell you again? Yes. That's right. That's right's on first. Who's on first? Guess who's on second in the third act? Yes. That's, that's right. right. That's right. That's right. That's right. I love it. What's your problem? I've been writing for 11 minutes. I got nothing on the paper. That's my problem. Why don't you take the paper, you take the pen, and you write it down. Are you crazy? If I could write, I wouldn't have had to steal this bit. I would... And now, ladies and gentlemen, news of the Olympic movement. Produced by Jim Ebersol III. Well, what are the Olympics going to take away from the athletes next year? How about sex? According to the Telegraph in London... Athletes face a sex ban at next year's Olympics after organizers announced any physical contact between them would be prohibited to avoid the spread of coronavirus. Well, of course, the Olympic Village during game time has become notorious for casual relationships between competitors. Hundreds of thousands of condoms are usually distributed at the games. 
And yet we don't know what the official... No, no, we don't. But Tokyo 2020 this week unveiled plans for athletes to sign a code of conduct that includes avoiding physical contact or speaking loudly and requires them to wear masks when not training or competing. I recently played basketball with a mask on. You can do that. It can, it can be done. Anyone found in breach of the code could face punishment. Athletes traveling to Japan must produce a negative COVID test taken less than 72 hours before their arrival, and they will be tested every 96 to 120 hours during their stay at the Games. And, as we discussed last week, they'll be asked to leave the country as soon as their events are over. No sightseeing. Penalties for non-compliance have yet to be determined. Hmm. To be a fly on the wall of those meetings. And will be drawn up in conjunction with the International Olympic Committee. Tom? International Olympic Committee. This is not a law, but we need to be careful and ask people to lay out precautions, said the chief exec of Tokyo 2020. Overseas spectators will have to observe rules ranging from mask wearing and a ban on cheering to keeping their ticket stubs to help contact racing. Well, why have a crowd if there's no cheering? Oh, we have the sound effect of the crowd. But the uh, the fake crowd in the stands doesn't look right. Organizers decided imposing a two-week quarantine on visiting fans was, quote, impractical. They're going to ask them instead to download tracking apps and abide by rigorous safety guidelines. Concrete measures to determine how many fans will be able to attend will be decided in the spring, taking into account infection rates around the world. Muto, the head of the Olympic Committee, announced that these measures would be in place. He said it would make the games different, but expressed hope they could still be held in a celebratory atmosphere, just without the cheering and the thing. It will be simple rather than festive, he says. A successful vaccine, of course, could render many of the countermeasures being discussed by games organizers obsolete, but Mudo said regarding the vaccine, at the moment it's not available yet. What might happen, what could happen is unclear. And organizers of the delayed Olympics have declined to confirm widely circulated reports in Japan that the costs of the postponement will be about $3 billion. Estimates have been published by Japan's top circulation newspapers as well as the national broadcasters. All are citing similar figures and unidentified sources close to the games. And they should know. Official cost is putting, is, uh, putting on the games is $12.6 billion. The government audit last year said it's probably twice that much. All but $5.6 billion is public money. But hey, it's a movement. And we all need one every day. Now, for this next little while, you may think you're hearing puppy dogs barking in the background. You're just imagining it. I was the uh, first non-news person to join the Credibility Gap. That was the name of this three-shows-a-day project. Um, I was joining a group of people who had been doing the regular newscasts on the station before it changed to this new format. And after a while, they were looking to add some New blood. And I had, man, I had new blood then. And so I joined, and then there was a woman who was doing some of the female voices on our shows, 
named, at the time was named Sally Smaller. And she had, and this will take you back in time, this was before answering machines, kids. And there were these things called answering services. Somebody, a live person, would sit at a switchboard and answer, you know, the phones of half a dozen, a dozen clients and take a message. And then they'd call you, or you'd call them, sorry. You'd call them and say, do I have any messages? And they'd read out your messages to you. And Sally said, there's this guy at my answering service. And when he delivers my messages, he's really funny. You, you guys should check him out. And that was David L. Lander. And he joined our show and started coming up with stuff like this. Hi, sports fans. Dave Sports with today's sports question. Did you know that baseball's immortal Babe Ruth, despite a career total of 714 home runs, a record, by the way, never hit even one home run in Pittsburgh's beautiful Three River Stadium? Before you put your thinking cap on, better take a look at what's underneath. If you're like me, you're sick and tired of spending one, two, even two and a half dollars plus tip every day or two just to keep your hairs neatly trimmed. Of course, you could drip out and tune on to a shaggy hippie beat. But if you'd rather go big league, why not do what I do to my son Skippy and my wife Peg? I keep their heads in trim with Electro Clip, an amazing but practical home hair clipper that turns any den into a barber college. To prove that Electro Clip is so easy to operate that even my child can do it, my own son Skipper Sports is here with me in the studio to give his dad that well-clipped look. You ready, champ? All set, daddy. Okay, Skipper. A little off the sides, if you please. Mmm. Fans, I'm getting a thoroughly professional haircut in the privacy of your station. My barber? Why, he's a nine-year-old boy. Amazing? <laughs> Not really. He was eight last year. Thanks, Skipper. Fans, maybe you noticed that during this simulated dramatization, that amazing electro clip produced no annoying buzz, that it contains no long or short cumbersome cord. The reason is as simple as space-age science itself. Electroclip uses no electricity. It has no moving parts. There's nothing to wear out. The Electroclip is simply a double-edged razor blade inside each comb-like end of a sturdy plastic frame that pulls as it cuts. That's why Electroclip gets to the root of good grooming. If federal authorities allowed Electroclip to be sold in stores, it might cost you close to $10. But now the manufacturers of amazing Electroclip want to skip the high-priced mailman and sell directly to you through me. That's why until midnight Saturday during Electroclip's Let's Get a Haircut week, you pay only $5.95. $10 for two. Rush $5.95 or $10 for two to Dave's Clip Offer Box 397. Radio City Music Hall, Grand Central Station, New York, New York, 10467. Caution may impair health when used as a cutting device. Oh, and uh, by the way, Babe Ruth never hit a home run in Pittsburgh's beautiful Three River Stadium? No. Because the stadium wasn't built until 23 years after the great Bambino popped off. Now... News of the Godly. Dayline Philadelphia, the Roman Catholic Archdiocese of Philadelphia, has uh, done a spin-off. You know, like uh, Laverne and Shirley spun off from Happy Days? Like that. Uh, they're spinning off St. John Vianney Center. That's a behavioral health facility where for decades priests accused of sexually abusing or raping children were sent for evaluation. 
In exchange for its independence as a 50-bed nonprofit psychiatric hospital, the Vianney, the Vianney Center agreed to pay the Archdiocese $12 million, according to Archdiocesan Financial Statements, published just last week. This is from the Philly Inquirer. The split was effective last July, hadn't been widely publicized till now. They were waiting, I guess, till this show. An archdiocese spokesperson said Vianney Center officials wanted the mental health hospital that has exclusively treated clergy to be financially and administratively independent while continuing its mission as a Catholic institution. In a turn, the archdiocese was in an environment where there was an immediate need for cash. Uh, to fund the Reconciliation and Reparation Program, started two years ago, to financially compensate victims of sexual abuse by priests. See, it all works together. It's a system. A two-year-old grand jury report on sexual abuse by Pennsylvania priests outside Philadelphia sharply criticized the Vianney Center and similar treatment centers elsewhere for doing a shoddy job protecting children from predatory priests. That wasn't the mission? When a priest denied allegations of sexual abuse, he usually avoided any diagnosis related to the sexual abuse of children, the report said. Moreover, these institutions focused on a clinical diagnosis over actual behavior as reported by the victims. Put plainly, these institutions laundered accused priests, provided plausible deniability to the bishops, and permitted hundreds of known offenders to return to ministry, unquote. They say that like it's a bad thing. David Schallenberger, president of Vianney Center, didn't respond to uh, inquiries. Same with the administrative office of the center and a board member. So it's, uh, you know, Stumm over at Vianney Center. This uh, adds to a long run of divestitures by the Philadelphia Archdiocese that started eight years ago with the sale of... Um, Villa St. Joseph by the Sea for four million, and the Cardinal's Mansion for ten million. Just the Cardinal's Mansion, ladies and gentlemen. Like you need to have that. Both were undertaken to fill gaping holes in the church's operating budget. Then the Archdiocese made a long term lease of its cemeteries to a for profit company for eighty nine million. You don't mind if I just dig up a couple of these? Put in a. Uh, it sold off the church's six nursing homes and one assisted living f- facility for 145 million, and it sold excess real estate to help the church regain financial stability because of you know you know you know. And following the release of a report this week on the history of child sexual abuse at the hands of Colorado Catholic priests. That report identified dozens of new survivors and nine new perps. The Archbishop of Denver, Samuel Aquila, seemed to once again downplay the severity of the abuse, according to the Colorado Times recorder. Of course, we've learned this year that you downplay things to avoid panic, haven't we? Isn't that what we learned? The supplemental report released by the Colorado Attorney General's office this week followed up this report on clergy sexual abuse in Colorado released last year. This report, which concludes an almost two-year investigation into how Colorado's three dioceses sheltered abusers over seven decades, why that's nearly two decades per diocese, identified additional 
46 abuse survivors and nine priests that came to light since the release of the first report. Those cases include the late Reverend Charles B. Woodrich, known, I'm reading, known as Father Woody, long touted by the church as an icon for altruism toward Denver's homeless population. Also, Father Joe Walsh, who sexually abused children living at the Sacred Heart Orphanage in Pueblo. Well, the parents aren't going to complain. In a letter published on the Denver Archdiocese's website, Archbishop Aquila seemed to diminish the severity of these new findings. Over 85% of the incidents occurred more than 40 years ago. Nearly half of the total incidents were committed by one man, Harold White. There are no substantiated allegations against any current priest in active ministry. This extensive independent process should remove any cloud of unfair suspicion from our current priests, he said. I offer no excuse for these sins of the past, but the context of when the abuse happened is important. Quoting Denver Archbishop Aquila. News of the Godly. Ladies and gentlemen, copyrighted feature of this broadcast now. Uh, this week has been marked, news-wise, by the continuation of uh, a denial strategy, boat going down denial, by, on the part of <laughs> President Trump, um, denial that there was any legal, legitimate election November 3rd, that there is such a thing as a president-elect and a vice president-elect selecting their cabinets. Well, the the president selecting, announcing the selection of his cabinet and the vice president-elect, her staff, just denying, as I say, that the whole thing is happening. And there's a slew of Republican officeholders, as you know, including most of Congress that have an R after their name, um, stand mum when asked for reaction to this uh, display of denial. And uh, I, I uh, actually thought that the, the fact that President, Trump, <laughs> President Trump's father told him there are two kinds of people, killers and losers, uh, and that he had built his, you're going to pardon term of art here, his adult personality around the idea of being a winner, being only a winner, ever, uh, meant that undergoing the biggest loss in the world, on the world stage, in front of the biggest audience, was um, maybe an existential threat, and that a, a period of continued and enthusiastic denial of what everybody else recognizes to be uh, what happened, is probably the best we could expect under the circumstances, as opposed to, if I'm going to be destroyed personally, I'm taking y'all with me, you know, something like that. So we're, we, we can appreciate our good fortune at this point. Um, and there are continuing reports of, you know, people in the White House, advisors, and the late-night friends that he talks to on the phone who are trying to convince him, you know, sir, this is, this is a great fight you're putting on, but, uh, you know, it's a certain point, dot, 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 dot. There's no evidence of that uh, taking hold with him yet. But I think he, he has come to believe 
that there is some consolation waiting. I lost the biggest contest I ever had in my life. I lost the will to find my next age-inappropriate wife. I've lost the clout to flood the zone with self-generated strife. But I won Christmas. I lost the chance to prove to my dad that I'm really a winner. I lost to a horrible candidate who makes me lose my dinner. I lost because my campaign guy was just a dumb beginner. But I won Christmas. Christmas time is special. It puts retail on the map. The perfect gift for your whole list. Mega mug, a mega cap. I lost a list of lawyers who wouldn't make me ashamed. I'm quickly losing track of employees who can be blamed. I lost the way to find the leakers who couldn't be named. But I won Christmas. I lost my place on Rushmore. I lost my Nobel Prize. I lost my role as a model in Eric and Donnie's eyes. I lost the chance to prove that my hands are normal size. But hold on to your gun. No way that I'm done. Cause I won Christmas. From the home of the homeless, this is Le Show. And now, ladies and gentlemen. Don't have to yell. Scientists revealed this week they have solved the mystery of what's killing more than half of the coho salmon in uh, Puget Sound's urban streams before they can spawn the Toxin decimating the salmon comes from the mix of chemicals that leach from automobile tires and drain into streams wherever it rains, which it never does up there. And oh, that's uh, researchers at the University of Washington, Tacoma, and Washington State University at Puyallup. Puyallup. Specifically, the culprit is a molecule related to a preservative that keeps tires from breaking down too quickly. Just breaking down quickly enough. This is according to a study published in the journal Science. Their slogan, what do we know? Quote, most people think that we know what chemicals are toxic and all we have to do is control the amount of those chemicals to make sure water quality is fine, said the co-senior author. 
But in fact, uh, animals are exposed to this giant chemical soup. And we don't know what many of the chemicals in it even are, unquote. Coho salmon spend the first year of their lives in freshwater streams, yeah, before swimming out to sea where they spend most of their lives. Only a tiny, tiny fraction of the population returns to their birth streams to spawn before dying. Don't tell them. They'd never do it. I'm not going to spawn. The next thing you know, I'm dead. For years, scientists have known that many returning salmon were dying before they could spawn, especially after a big rain. Oh, there's a clue. No one knew it was killing the coho. Researchers began studying the water quality of the creeks. Couldn't be explained by high temperatures, how dissolved oxygen, or any known contaminants such as high zinc levels, said a co-senior author. Then we found that urban stormwater runoff could recreate the symptoms and the acute mortality. Starting with a mix of a couple thousand chemicals found in stormwater runoff, researchers compared water from creeks where salmon were dying to identify common trends. By sectioning the tire wear particle solution according to different chemical properties, they began to identify which ones were toxic to salmon in the lab. Refining their process, researchers were able to whittle down the toxin list to one highly toxic chemical called 6-PPD that kills large fish quickly and is found on every single busy world in the road. It's like a preservative for tires. Similar to how food preservatives keep food from spoiling too quickly, a 6-PPD helps tires last by protecting them from ground-level ozone. Yeah, there's ozone down there. Created when pollutants emitted by cars react in the sunlight. 6-PPD reacts with ozone before it reaches the rubber. When it reacts with ozone, it's transformed into multiple chemicals, including 6-PPD quinone, quinone, the toxic chemical responsible for killing salmon. Hey, it could be a cure for uh, COVID-19, though. Quinone? It's like quinone. Now that it's known to kill coho salmon, researchers intend to understand why this chemical is so toxic. Good luck, boys and girls. Because we want it to be, I guess, is the answer, because we have dominion. Also, new research shows that humans are taking a greater toll on killer whale populations than previously believed. Between pollution, overfishing, and impacts with vessels, ouch, it doesn't look good. Most common human-related causes of death include infectious disease, you're welcome, Ask the Indians, uh, the Native Americans, malnutrition, congenital defects induced by chemical pollution, blunt force trauma from boat strikes, and ingested fish hooks. It's a nice life they're having right now. These cases represent otherwise preventable, de- preventable deaths that can be likely reduced through further research and effort. In the meantime, orcas are calling us killer humans. So it's... Uh, it's, it's fitting. It's, you know, it's some recompense. But we can do it, ladies and gentlemen, because we got dominion. Now, the, um, the, the daily three days, three times a day broadcast that the Credibility Gap did uh, way back in the late, 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 late 60s um, were, as I say, about the, the, the news. And you couldn't just on the spur of the moment, keep making up different characters as stories appear. So um, willy-nilly, not through any discussion we had or, you know, meeting, let's let's decide what to do about that. We just started 
evolving and creating characters that could be used in uh, particular kinds of stories. And David Lander, David L. Lander, came up with this character, Lance Peebles, who was a, uh, a rather delicate adolescent. Uh, his father was police chief in the local town. And these characters figured in uh, news stories about what today we would call toxic masculinity. kitchen, dear. Oh, thank goodness you're home, Brad. I fixed the leaky faucet, but now the cat won't come near me. Uh, That's too bad. Uh, I've got something important to tell you, Madge. They've lowered the boxing age. Now you've only got to be 16 to box. That's nice, dear. Oh, I bought the paper towels you like, the ones with the fiberglass. Good, Madge. It's about time we had a strong absorbent in this household. Now, where's Lance? He's at school, dear. Five o'clock in the afternoon and my boy's still at school? What is this, China? Lance! Brad, Wednesday's Lance's mathlete meeting. What the hell's a mathlete? It's the math club, dear. <laughs> I've got bigger things in store for our son than the math club. In just three months, Lance is going to be in the ring. But, dear, you yourself always say Lance is a sissy. No, I'm just teasing him. You let him get a couple of fights under his belt and he'll be a regular jacked Linkletter. <laughs> well, they beat Rosemont High in the math off last week. Who did? Mathletes. Mathletes, math off, math by rumpus. Hmm. Excuse me. Uh, Madge, you're turning our son into a, a girl. Hi, Mom. Hi, Pop. What's for dinner? I'm starved. <laughs> Put him up, Lance. You're going to have to fight your way into the dining area tonight, young man. Oh, you didn't paint it again. Uh, no. I can't eat uh, when it smells of paint. No, uh, Lance. Hey, you. Lance, you don't understand. Oh, come on, defend yourself. I could be a molester. <laughs> Not you, Pop. You're the police chief. They never molest. Come Attention, on. everyone. Guess what's for dinner? Salisbury steak, a whole bowl. Nope. Hamburger. Wednesday's meatloaf night, Madge. Well, I decided to try something different. Oh, well, Lance, we're going to do something different tonight, too. Hmm? After dinner, I want to take you down to the basement and show you something. Oh, no surprises tonight, Pop. I'm in training for the math bowl. You'll be training tonight, all right, young man. You'll be training to be the next Golden Glove champion of the world. Golly! Gee, Pop... Why do I have to wear my old swim trunks anyway? They bind. Lance, if you're going to be a boxer now, you have to get used to some pain. Oh. It sharpens the senses. I'll never forget the time that killer held me captive for 48 hours. I was tied hand and foot. Lucky for me, I knew dynamic tension. So what was supposed to be torture turned out to be two days of invigorating self-improvement. This was before I knew your mother. <sighs> What am I going to tell the guys in the mathletes? Oh, tell them anything. Mm-hmm. Now, look, if they give you any trouble, beat the hell out of them. Mm-hmm. You're through taking crap from those people. Surprise! Wow! Mom, move the clothesline down here. What's the matter with you? That's no clothesline. That's a boxing ring. Golly, what are those fat mittens over there? Santa Claus, leave them or something? Those <laughs> are boxing gloves, young man. Uh, they look like fat mittens. <laughs> Will you shut up with that constant cackling? You laugh like a girl. Why don't you try and laugh like me sometimes? Well, I've never heard you laugh, Pop. Well, these days there's not much to laugh at, young man. Uh, come on, put these gloves on. Oh. 
They're too big, I think. They're not too big. You're too small. You see what it says right there? Official size and weight. So don't go blaming it on the gloves. You've got girls' hands. I told you washing dishes could shrink your hands. But Mom wants me to help in the kitchen. Mom, Mom, the way you talk about Mom all the time, maybe she should be your father. I think that's biologically impossible. Anybody home? Hey, come on in, Bix. Mr. Baker, what are you doing here? I come to beat you up, Lance. <laughs> Lance, Mr. Baker used to box in the Navy. Oh, Lance, your father flatters me. I only won the golden boat a couple of times. Of course, I haven't been in the ring since I opened up the hardware store, but I do keep in shape. Uh, Dad, why is Mr. Baker going to beat me up? That's just a figure of speech, Lance. Bix is quite a competitor. Uh, you know, Bix, when Lance first came down here, he thought the boxing gloves were were fat mittens. <laughs> you see, Lance, that's how you laugh. <laughs> well, Brad, I hope your son doesn't think boxing gloves are funny-looking or anything. They represent the most wonderful years of my life. No, Bix, he didn't mean anything. He daydreams. You know the time. Oh, okay. Well, what do you say, Lance? Let's go a few. Hitch up your trunks. I can't get a grip on them with these gloves. Here, I'll pull them up, and don't work them down again. Now, here we go. Oh, you move. Oh, come on. I won't look. Let's go. All right. Lance, you remember what I told you at the dinner table. Keep moving. Mm -hmm. Lead with your left. Mm -hmm. Keep that right up. Right Watch his hands. If you see an opening, let him have it. Okay, round one. Go get him, Lance. Come on, sailor. Move in where the action is. This isn't a track meet. Show me some stuff. Come on. Uh, these trunks are giving me prickly heat. <laughs> I'll give I... you prickly heat, sailor. Come on. Well, get up and hit him, Lance. Come on, he's 20 years older than you. you still got all your reflexes. Start the count, Brad. Uh, wait a minute, Bix. Give the kid a chance, huh? Lance, I'm warning you, if you don't get up and hit him, I'm going to give the dog away again. <gasps> oh, no, Pop, not Zimbo. The pound said if they saw him again, they'd kill him. Hey, I've heard of the long count, but it's ridiculous. Come on, Brad, count him out. Right, Bix, at one. Lance, don't keep Mr. Baker waiting. Come on, defend yourself. Uh-oh, Pop, I think I reopened my appendix scar when I fell down. Don't be silly, Lance. The blood's coming from your nose. Okay, Bix, uh, up at the counter, too. Come and get him. Come on, Lance. I'm going to make it official now. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Bix. Did you have to hit the boy that hard? Why, well, he dropped like a rock. I didn't touch him, Brad. I was just cocking my right and he keeled over. Oh, no. He's fainted. Gee, I must have psyched him out. Oh. Hey, look, I hope I didn't hurt the kid. You know, sometimes I don't know my own strength. Uh, he'll be all right. Uh, his trunks must have been too tight. Oh, come on, Brad. The kid isn't ready for me. Oh, was that so, Bix? Yeah. Well, this was his first fight. You come back in a week when he's come to, and $5 says he can go at least two rounds. Okay, Brad, you're on. I'll see you, buddy. Come on, Lance. Oh, where Come. am I? Who won the math ball? Oh, I'll math ball your face. Do you know what you did to me this evening? Lance, you've shamed your father. Embarrassed me in front of a respected hardware merchant. How do you think I feel? Shamed and embarrassed? I only wish I felt shamed and embarrassed. Lance, tonight, you've made me feel like a girl. Yipe! I better put my pants on. Now, the apologies of the week. So sorry. New Zealand's largest media publisher is a company called Stuff. 
Yeah, they take all this stuff seriously down there. It has publicly, stuff has, apologized for the way it has portrayed Maori people. Those are the uh, natives, the indigenous people, sorry, of that island, that set of islands. This is after an internal investigation uncovered evidence of, quote, racism and marginalization in its representation of the country's indigenous people. Stuff editorial director Mark Stevens said the company's coverage of Maori issues over the past 160 years ranged, quote, from racist to blinkered, unquote, and had remained, quote, monocultural even in the present day. Seldom was it fair or balanced in terms of representing Maori, Stevens wrote in an editorial published this week called Sorry to Maori. Stuff owns New Zealand's largest news website, numerous regional and community titles. A uh, An investigation, our truth, around 20 journalists from the publication scrutinized the company's portrayal of Maori in its print and digital publications. Articles from the distant past were outright racist. News from the 1800s described them as, quote, an inferior race. Analysis, said uh, editorial director Stevens, showed our language often split New Zealand into two, Kiwis and Maori, two separate groups, us and them. The company's chief executive said the investigation was not an exercise in political correctness or being, quote, woke, but, quote, if you think the job of the news media in our company and others is to hold the powerful to account, well, we are the powerful. Said Stevens, apologies are hollow without a commitment to change to do better in the future. We've begun that journey with much distance to travel, unquote. So the whole journey thing has gotten to New Zealand now. The governor of Vermont, Phil Scott, and his human services secretary apologized this week after hundreds of COVID samples didn't get to the testing lab. When people were notified, there was another mistake. Human Services Secretary Mike Smith said more than 240 tests arrived in Somerville, Massachusetts last Saturday morning, stayed at the UPS site for nearly 50 hours. The tests weren't collected until Monday morning, November 30th. By then, they could not be processed. In an attempt to inform those who got tested, the health department sent an email regarding the error, but mistakenly, informed the wrong people. Quote, let me apologize personally, said Secretary Smith. None of this should have happened. And he's just talking about what I just told you. We could broaden that a little bit. But he didn't, so we won't. A four-day swingers convention in New Orleans. What could possibly go wrong? 41 new coronavirus infections is what? The event organizer, Bob Hannaford, shared a blog post this week detailing how he and his team were reaching out to attendees to urge them to get tested, and he apologized for holding the event. If I could go back in time, I would not produce this event again, he wrote, even though most of the 41 positive cases have mostly been asymptomatic or very mild. The reason I wouldn't is I know one or two people who had a tougher time, and they were suffering. One of them, a good friend of mine, was hospitalized in serious condition. The naughty New Orleans convention began November 11th, had roughly 300 attendees. Hannaford said he and his company worked hard to create what they thought would be a safe environment. And guess what? It wasn't! Hannaford claimed the, as the event pr- progressed, complacency set in, which likely caused the virus to spread among his guests. 
In almost every case when we contacted people, they admitted to us that they were super diligent on the first two days, Wednesday and Thursday, and then they relaxed a little on Friday, and then they said, screw it, it's our last day, and many admitted that their lax effort on that final day is probably why they ended up positive. Imagine swingers being lax. Dateline Montreal, for more than three decades, leaders of the Archdiocese of Montreal failed to properly treat the complaints and the red, pl- the red flags periodically raised about Father Brian Boucher. That's according to a report prepared by retired Quebec Superior Court Judge Pepita Capriolo. I said Pepita Capriolo. It's just fun to say. Instead, church authorities seemed intent on covering up the priest's behavior to protect his and his church's reputation, she wrote. Last year, Boucher was sentenced to eight years in prison for sexual assault of two boys. He was laicized this year. Zap! You're laicized! But in her 283-page document on Boucher, Capriolo said numerous incidents were reported and called into question during his career. For nearly 40 years, these warnings were all ignored or deemed irrelevant, especially because they concerned adults and not minors. Not only sexual abuse, physical assault, threats, loss or destruction of secret documents, even a burglary in the secret archives of the archdiocese. Former judge called the case a debacle for the archdiocese, or debacle, as they say in French. The archbishop, Lepine, accepted the conclusions in humility and a deep sense of regret. On behalf of the church and speaking for myself personally, I wish to say, said the Archbishop, to the victims, to your loved ones, and your parish communities, how sorry we are that you experience the effects of such terrible criminal acts, which should never occur, never. Capriolo said she obtained full and independent access to all documents and also able to interview everyone whose testimony she thought was appropriate. That's a pretty high bar for the rest of you dioceses. Dateline Soul, a popular Buddhist monk, who has faced public criticism over his lifestyle, it appears to contradict his preaching of non-possession, now he has belatedly apologized over another controversy over an apartment in New York, believed to be owned by him. Ven Heyman, also an author and teacher, has faced widespread criticism over his posh private home in central Seoul, and a subsequent news report claiming that he made gains by selling a building to a Buddhist organization allegedly run by him in the past. Further allegations arose this week that he had purchased an apartment complex in Brooklyn, together with a foreign national, for the, about uh, $610,000 is all. In a letter sent to the Yonhap News Agency this week, he again apologized over the latest revelation and said he will try to live a monastic life but without clarifying whether he actually owns the property. When uh, news of his personal wealth broke last month, he said he would stop all public activities, study Buddhist teachings again, and devote himself to uh, flipping houses. No! Study and practice. Leaving flipping houses to others. Days after it was revealed that San Francisco Mayor London Breed dined at the French Laundry Restaurant following Governor Gavin Newsom's visit there, also of California. Some nice publicity for the French Laundry. The mayor acknowledged this week it was fair that she be criticized for contradicting some of her messaging on social gatherings. It doesn't matter whether something is technically allowed or not. I need to hold myself to a higher standard, and I will do better, the mayor said on Twitter. She is castigated and controlled residents to obey health orders following the coronavirus outbreak. She joined several 
the seven others at the Looks Napa County restaurant the evening after Newsom's party there. Uh, her dinner violated no health rules at the time. Both indoor and outdoor dining was permitted in both San Francisco and Napa counties. Her party dined in a semi-enclosed space. That's got to be Democrat-type food. <laughs> British Airways has apologized after tweeting its support for the England rugby, rugby team on the eve of them playing Wales. English Airways began trending after the airline tweeted, Good luck to the England rugby team against Wales today. The tweet has now been deleted. Wales Health Minister commented, Good way to annoy 3 million-plus potential customers. BA said it had unintentionally strayed offside and was sorry. Member of the Welsh Parliament, Alan Davies, tweeted, And you expect me to fly with you? Another uh, celebrity apology. British singer Rita Ora apologized this week after she attended a party to celebrate her 30th birthday. That breached England's strict COVID-19 lockdown rules. The pop star said in an Instagram story she's gone to a small gathering with some friends to celebrate her birthday. This was a serious and inexcusable error of judgment, Aura said, given the restrictions. I realize how irresponsible these actions were, and I take full responsibility. It was a spur-of-the-moment decision made with a misguided view that we were coming out of lockdown and this would be okay. I'm deeply sorry for breaking the rules, and I in, ter- in turn understand that this puts people at risk, unquote. British media reported the party included more than 30 people. It took place at a high-end restaurant in West London's swanky Notting Hill neighborhood. Bet it wasn't as as high-end as the French Laundry. Kelly Dodd made multiple apologies during an interview with Andy Cohen after asking if the pandemic is, quote, God's way of thinning the herd. Dodd is regretting the controversial remarks. The Real Housewives of Orange County star. That really tells you all you need to know. She sat down for an interview on uh, Cohn's TV show. Cohn read a question from a fan who asked if Kelly has any remorse for writing in an Instagram comment that the pandemic is God's way of thinning the herd. Kelly, whose mother contracted COVID-19 in November and is in the ICU, responded, Of course I regret saying that. At the time, it was a question. Why are all these people dying? Is it God's way of thinning the herd? It was a stupid thing for me to say. It was insensitive, and I apologize if I hurt or offended anybody because it wasn't really my intention. Kelly then admitted she got freaked out about it, and then in hindsight, it was the stupidest thing I've ever said. That comment out of the way, Andy Cohen moved on to her next controversy in the past She's also stated that no one is dying of COVID in Orange County, and she likened the virus to the flu. At first, I was misinformed. She previously apologized for her coronavirus-related comments in May. She added, you guys have to realize this was like back in January where it happened, and I was misinformed. I didn't realize that not wearing masks, I hate it. I'm a claustrophobic. I can't stand wearing a mask, and now I understand the science behind it, and I'm ready, willing, and able to wear a mask. And I know that it's important because I don't want to get sick. And I don't want others to get sick. I make mistakes, unquote. Well, that's kind of redeeming, isn't it? A redeeming note on which to end the Apologies of the Week. Copyrighted feature of this broadcast.
Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time on the same radio station or at another time. You tell me what time on your audio device of choice. And you don't even have to tell me. You don't even have to listen. It would be nice. And it would be just like going and looking up some more great stuff by David L. Lander one more time to enjoy. If you'd agree to be with me then, will you? Alrighty, thank you very much. Uh-huh. Tip of the, la- the show chapeau to the San Diego desk, to Pam Halstead and to Thomas Walsh at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's program. The email address of this show, your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts, newly printed up batch, and, um, the email. Oh, and the playlist of the music. Yeah, when there's music on this program, all at harryshearer.com, and I'm on Twitter. And strangely enough, at the Harry Shearer. Just a total stroke of luck. Seriously, an amazing collaborator, great friend, and unbelievably brave and determined fighter for more than three decades against the onslaughts of MS. Our friend, David L. Lander. And uh, P.S., great engineering and production on Lance Learns to Box by Mr. Don Landy. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy radio network. So long. From the home of the homeless.